This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Come on in if you're out in the lobby and open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Those with a good memory may recall that I preached on this text um, early in January, so I'm not going to preach it again, but I do want to start there. Today we are wrapping up a uh, series uh, on the Bible and uh, on on, uh, reading the Scripture. We're going to have two two more messages, and then in March, not on the Bible, on something else, uh, and then on March, we're going to start the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis 1. So that'll be a, a great study of beginnings. And uh, so that's where we're headed uh, next. We're going to do Genesis 1 through 11. We've already taught Genesis 12 through 50 uh, early in the life of the church, so I'm not going to redo that, but we will do Genesis 1 through 11. So today we are concluding a series on the Scripture. And where we started was 2 Timothy 3, and we saw that the Scripture is God's uh, breathed Word. It's a God-breathed Word that is profitable for our instruction and our growth so we, we read that, and then the next week we looked at a passage, Psalm 119, talking about loving God's Word, having a heart for God's Word. Following that, we did a study about application, a whole message, and today's going to be somewhat similar, but we did a whole message on how to apply God's Word from James 1, being a hearer and doer. Then we had a message that Pete brought on meditation, uh, helping us understand how to really ask questions of the text, uh, learn the text, um, even... Uh, talked about memorization of the text, but how do we engage the Word at a deeper level, not a surface level, uh, and, and engage with our mind and our hearts? We talked about meditation, and today I want to end up where we began, which is 2 Timothy 3, which speaks of the uh, God-breathed Scripture. So let me read uh, what, we, what we taught on uh, probably about four or five weeks ago. Uh, 2 Timothy 3 Verse 16, I'm going to start there. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Powerful. Just talks about how God's Word accomplishes something in His people's lives. So, if we just read that, we might think the next passage is going to be about, so go have a Bible study. So start having a quiet time, which is all over the Bible. We talked about that. It could have said that. So we might anticipate the very next instruction would be, go meditate on the Word. Um, Go read the Word. Uh, Go pray about the Word or something like this. Because we found out it's God's Word that changes us. But look, this is the passage I want to look at today. Look at where he goes next. Verse 1 of chapter 4. I charge you speaking to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears... They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
So here's how the passage moves. It moves from God's word is authoritative. God's word is the very voice of God, the breath of God that's profitable, useful to change your life. Therefore, Timothy, you preach that word to God's people. So the next passage is preach the word, and then where does he go? Because here's what's going to happen. There's a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They'll have itchy ears. They'll want to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth. So where does he end up? With listening to the preached word. The word of God is powerful, so you declare the word because some people are going to turn away from really listening, and they're going to pursue other things. So he ends up with talking about the importance of listening to the preached word. So here's what I'm going to preach on. This will be, this may not be a good sermon, I have no idea, but this will be the most practical sermon you've ever heard in your life. I can guarantee you that because normally we preach a message and it's like, here's how to respond. Come get prayer. Go have a conversation. Repent to your friend. Uh, get, get reconciled. Work hard. Pray. Uh, you know, some, some kind of go serve, evangelize, some kind of action. The, the application for this sermon is right this second, right now. How to listen to a sermon. I'm going to talk about how to listen to the preached word of God. We do it all the time, but most of us have never thought about how to listen to a sermon. So that's what I want to talk about. Let's pray that we'll have ears to hear, as Jesus said. Father, we thank you for the words of your Son who said, Let him who has ears to hear, hear. We want to hear what you say to us today. We pray that you would give us ears to hear. We pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your law, from your word. We pray that you would help our hearts be attentive. I pray not only a heart attention, but physical attention. I pray that you would help us to physically engage with hearing your word, alert our minds to understand, and stir our hearts to apply. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you've ever uh, been to college or perhaps graduate school or something like that, you may be aware that there are two ways, at least that I'm aware of, that you can take a class. Uh, one is to take a class for credit, uh, to be an enrolled student taking a class for credit. The other way is to audit a class, if you've ever heard that. Uh, and I have done both. When, when, I, uh, when Ginger and I finished school, finished college, uh, we, were, we got married. And we were uh, 22, 23, and then four months later after getting married, we moved to California so that I could go to seminary. So we were really Texas kids, loaded up the truck, we moved to Beverly Hills, that is. Uh, not really, it wasn't Beverly Hills, but we moved to the L.A. area, and we were the Beverly Hillbillies for sure, moving there where I went to school. And uh, I really took it seriously. I mean, it was very different than high school and very different even than college for me because uh, seminary, if you're not know, that's, uh, that's training uh, theological education to prepare someone for uh, pastoral ministry or missionary work or biblical counseling or there's all kinds of things but I was going to study to be what I felt God was calling me to be as a pastor so I took it very seriously I attended the classes with more regularity than I attended in college and uh, I listened I was interested I asked questions um, I did the assignments. I, I applied what I learned. I, I did the assignments. I felt the pressure of a full schedule. Uh, I felt the stress of sort of academic rigor, of uh, you know a lot of reading, and then being responsible to process that, learn, and then 
communicate that back through research papers and tests and stuff. So I took it, I took it very seriously because I was really interested. I, what I was learning was going to shape and affect what I did the rest of my life, and uh, that's what I'm doing right now. I took a class on preaching sermons. So uh, I was really serious about learning what I was learning. I was fully enrolled, and I was pursuing a degree. Uh, I finished my degree. A number of years later, we moved to San Diego and planted a church, and uh, there was a seminary there, Westminster, in, uh, in San Diego area. And so I thought, I'm going to take some classes, but I'm not going to pay for them. I've already uh, paid for uh, seminary, so I'm going to audit them. I'd never audited a class. An, an audit means you just show up when you want, how you want, and you just listen. Audit means comes from the, the word to listen. Uh, so I actually think they called it a listener's pass or something like that. So it was very different than when I was taking classes for credit. Uh, I came when I wanted to come. If something was happening, I didn't go. Oh, there's a game on tonight? I'm not going. Uh, whatever. I just popped in. I wrote down what I wanted to write down. I, did the, I read what I wanted to read. Uh, I paid attention to the degree I wanted to pay attention, depending on what interested me. I might look at the syllabus, which classes. Oh, I'll come to these two. I'll skip those two. I'll come. I just was like a buffet, taking what I wanted from it. I wasn't tested on anything. And in a cruel way, sort of enjoyed the nervous agitation of the students in the class who are saying, will that be on the final? And I'm like, who cares? <laughs> I'm not accountable. This is great. I can come and learn and have no accountability. So this is, the teacher doesn't know. It's just great. So I loved auditing. And if I could have done that, I would have just audited to begin with if I'd known that was an option. Very, very different. And it occurred to me that there's two ways to listen to a sermon. Some of us listen as enrolled students who are accountable for what we hear, and some of us audit sermons. We come, and we come when we're interested. We come when we can. We pay reasonable attention. We're distracted. We're kind of in and out. We judge it on how interesting is that to me and sort of evaluate it, sort of distance ourselves, pick what we want, eat what we want, apply what we want. Because we're just checking things out. We're just listening for what interests you. We're kind of dabbling in it, much like I did as a student who was auditing. The only problem with that is I think the Scripture teaches there's no Christian auditors. Everyone's accountable for everything we hear. If you're not a Christian, you're auditing. That's fine. You're listening. You're investigating. Wonderful. I'm glad you're here. But if you're converted you are a Christian, then you are responsible for all that you hear. And lest you think I'm being really dramatic, the text makes this point, that there's actually a final exam. It's the day of judgment. This isn't me being dramatic. This is the Bible. There's a day. Look at, verse, look at what he says in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word preach the word. Now, I understand he's talking to Timothy, and he is saying that he will be judged and that he is to teach faithfully. But do we dare think that Timothy is supposed to preach the word and everyone who hears it, there's no accountability for them, just the guy speaking? Do we think that when they're exposed to the word of God, that when they are, for instance, reproved or exhorted, that they can do whatever they want with that because God doesn't care. He just cares about the guy teaching it. 
No, the picture of assessment and judgment is for everyone because uh, we all are learning. We are hearing from God when we hear God's word preached. He has already said it's God's breathed word. Now announce that word because God's people hear God's voice when his word is proclaimed. And his proclaimed word is to change his people so that we hear and we see Christ and what he's done, and then we apply and respond to what we hear. So there's really application for all. I mean, this would have been read to the church at Ephesus. And so as it's read, he's a, whoever, maybe Timothy read it, I don't know, but he's reading it to the church. Timothy's being addressed, but kind of like when there was a charge given to Bob last week as a new elder at our ordination service, everybody heard that. And everybody felt called to something. It wasn't just for him. So Timothy's called to preach, but everyone else is called to not be those who accumulate teachers to suit their passions or turn away from listening to the truth. He's to preach the word, and the warning in verse 4 is we are to be those who listen to the truth because we are all accountable for what we hear. How we receive God's word is very... Uh, it's, a, it's a serious matter. As a matter of fact, in another letter... Uh, Paul commends the Thessalonians for the way they received God's word. This is in uh, chapter 2. He says, We thank God constantly for this, the Thessalonians, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, we taught the word of God, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at you, which is at work in you in believers. You weren't auditors just dabbling in what interested you. You said, this is the word of God, and you received, and he says, accepted it as if it was really the word of God. That's what he says, I had to receive the word. So he tells Timothy, because it's God-breathed word, as we read in chapter 3, because it is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training, because it is able to make us complete and equipped for every good work, because the Word of God is what empowers us, changes us, so that we're equipped to do what God's called us to do in our lives, because of that, declare that Word. Preach that Word, he says. Now, the word preach in verse 2, preach the Word, is, is something of a colorful word, I think. It means to uh, proclaim aloud publicly, and it's the verbal form of the noun herald. So if you took the noun herald, not, not the guy's name, but like H-E-R-A-L-D, someone who's a herald who announces. If you took the noun herald and made it a verb to herald a message, that's what preach is. That's what it is. And that's a, that's a really, uh, it's, it's an instructive metaphor, a herald. A herald, we don't know a lot about first century heralds. Most of us don't think about that. But we, we can all think of like a Middle Ages Renaissance herald. I've talked about this before, but we can all picture that. We all have the image of the guy who comes into the town square uh, in the, in the, you know, like during the Renaissance ages or something, comes into the town square and, you know, he's got tights and booty, booties and, uh, on his feet and he's got this kind of trumpet with, looks like pennants, you know, triangular flags hanging off it and he blows his trumpet dun, 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 and everybody gathers and then he undoes the scroll and he says, he reads the scroll to everybody gathered, hear ye, hear ye. You know, he says, he's saying, you know, um, hear ye, hear ye. This is what your king has to say by royal decree or something like that. Hear ye, hear, everybody hear what the king is saying. That's the image that's here. It's someone who heralds. It's someone who brings a message that's not his own 
or her own, to someone who brings a, a messenger, who brings a, delivers a message. That's what a herald is. So you could herald personally uh, in one-on-one evangelism. You could herald to someone else and communicate. You're announcing good news to them. But here what he's talking about is the man who would preach God's word from, uh, to instruct the gathered church. And he's saying that's someone who is announcing a message that is not his own. It originates with a king. Uh, so that really determines what we're hearing. God has something to say to us. And somebody is bringing the scripture to us so that we hear what God says to us. And the person bringing it is ultimately a messenger delivering the message that we all have on our lap this morning, the scripture that we are reading and listening to. We are here to hear the king's voice from a messenger because when we, as God's people, hear his word proclaimed, we hear him speaking to us. Now, Timothy is not given options what he can share with the church. He is told, preach the word. He's supposed to preach this God-breathed word, the Scripture. Verse 3, he's supposed to bring sound teaching, because some people will not endure sound teaching, but that's what he is supposed to bring. He's supposed to preach the word. I don't want to be overly technical here, but he doesn't say preach from the word. He doesn't say like, oh, you're preaching. Well, what text are you going from? There's no going from the text. He doesn't say, preach, like, give the scripture and then say what you want. He says, preach the word. And that's why we believe convictionally that the, that the, the most normal, regular, there's some exceptions, but the most regular means of preaching that serves God's people is what we call expositional preaching, which is to teach through the scripture, to hold it up and say, okay, this is what it says. And as we see what it says here, maybe here's the background, and here's how it, the argument of the text flows together. This is what it says, and this is what God's saying to us from this text, and here's what God has done for us and what he calls us to do in response. So that the point of the text is the point of the sermon. The point of the text is what we are to hear from God. That's expositional preaching. And sometimes we do other things, topical preaching and things like that, and there's a really there's definitely a place for that. But week in week out, it is preach the word is exposing people to the word in context. That's why we teach through books generally and we'll be teaching through Genesis. It's not just cuz we thought that was a nice thing to do, but it's cuz our conviction is that if we're going to announce God's word, it needs to be heard in the context that it came in so that we get the point of it and we can apply it to our lives. So maybe you've heard of that, expositional preaching or expository preaching. But have you ever thought about this, expositional listening? Exposition, I read a book recently called Expositional Listening, which is to listen carefully and intently to the message as it's being taught, to understand what God is saying to you from the text so that the point of the text is the point in your life that you respond. Expositional listening. Expositional listening is work. We're all expecting that I'm doing some kind of work here, hopefully. Uh, I got notes, spent a lot of time thinking about this and praying about this this week and studying. I just pop up this morning and say something. So we hope, we hope I've done some work and we hope I'm doing some work here, but everybody in the room is supposed to be doing work right now. We're all to be listening for what God is saying to us, following the argument. If it's a bad sermon, that's more work for you. If it's a logical, clear-flowing sermon, it's easier for you, but you still have to work. You still have to work. If the, if the illustrations, you're going, what? They don't make sense, uh, or something like that. If I'm scattered, 
it's more work, but we're called to that work that we are to listen. And so what I'd like to do, he's called to preach. I've already shown from verse 3 that his concern is how people listen and what they listen to. So I'm not pulling a fast one here. I'm, I'm getting this from the text, that there is a concern for listening. What I'd like to do is look at the verses here and change the point of view. If you saw a point of view camera. Normally when I've looked at this passage and taught it, I've thought of a picture. Like the guy delivering the sermon, he's throwing the ball. I'd like to change the point of view as the catcher, which is all of you right now and me when someone else is preaching and I'm listening. I'd like to do it from the point of view of the catcher. We're all receiving something that's being delivered to us. So what does Paul's instruction to Timothy implicitly communicate to each of us as listeners? How should we listen to a sermon? God-breathed word, preached, announced, heralded by a messenger so that the people listen. They don't, they don't find the kind of preachers they want to hear, but they listen to the truth of God's Word, verse 4. So what does that look like? How should we listen? Well, if I read this text from a listener's point of view, I would say that we should listen, first of all, soberly. Listen soberly. Paul charges Timothy, verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, is to, who is to judge the living and the dead. Here's what Paul says. That's not throwaway. Paul's at the end of his life. He's passing on his ministry to those who followed him, like Timothy. And this is what he's saying. Timothy, I'm going to tell you something sober. It's a charge. And you're going to listen to it in front of God, the Father, and in front of the Son. We're going to stand right in front of them. What I'm telling you, they're listening to what I'm saying to you right now. And you're going to be judged. They judge the living and the dead. You're going to be judged for how you respond. I'd be hard-pressed to find a more sober verse of Scripture. So more sober verse of Scripture. But as I said before, if he is to teach in the soberness of God, what about the hearers? Is there not a fear of God that should inform the gathered church as we hear this message? If it's so important, if it's the teaching of the God-breathed Word, if it is the Lord wanting to accomplish something in us and through us, if we as well will be evaluated by are we hearers and doers, James 1, of the Word, then wouldn't we want to listen soberly as well? Wouldn't we have the fear of God that it is a distinct privilege to hear from God? During communion, Pete had an excellent illustration about seeing that, that, we, are, uh, that, we, that we have had our eyes open to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So communion, we're celebrating our union with him because we see something that we didn't see before he opened our eyes and gave us new life. And the same is true with our ears. When you are born again, I heard one guy say, it's like you get new hearing aids and you could never hear before, but now you've got hearing aids and you can hear something you couldn't hear before, which is the word of God to you. So we've all been, if you're a Christian, we've all been given these new hearing aids to hear. And we are called to encounter the Lord through the preached word to hear as a sober responsibility. Now, I want to say it's a joyful responsibility. I mean, I, 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 hope, I hope that we as pastors in this church approach this soberly. But there's a time to be very real and human. There's a time, I believe, to use humor in communicating truth. Uh, so, absolutely, it's a joy to hear God's Word. The hearing that Jesus died and rose for us, our hearts should explode with joy. So I'm not saying sober, meaning dour or sad or grieving or mourning every time we hear the Word of God. I'm not saying that. There may be a place for that. But I'm saying weighty, weighty. We live in a frivolous, trite culture where everything is flippant. 
And yet when we come before God, we're, we're involved in something that's substantive. When we hear God's word, we're involved in something that's holy. We, we're, we're not just talking about something that's shallow or entertaining. And so the church isn't to reflect that. When the preached word goes forth, it is to, it's to bring an awe into our hearts because God is speaking. That's the reason. Because it is God speaking to us, we should treasure the privilege of hearing his word, hearing his word taught to us as listeners. So we listen soberly as those who are hearing from God and will give an account for what we do with what we hear. Number two, we listen expectantly. We listen expectantly. Here's the question, one question we want to ask as we gather Sundays. What will God say to me today through his word? What is God going to say to me through his word today? I'm not, hearing, I'm not listening to an historical lecture, though we may talk about history at points. I'm not listening to a, you know, some nice self-improvement thoughts. I'm not listening, hopefully, if the pastors do their job appropriately, I'm not listening to just one guy's opinion about how life ought to work. I'm listening to God's Word. And so I, what are you going to say to me today? Listen, we've already read in this passage that God desires to accomplish something through his word. Verse 16, chapter 3, it is profitable for teaching. The scriptures breathed out by God. It's profitable for reproof, correction, training in righteousness so that we're equipped for every good work. God wants to train us. He wants to equip us. He wants to teach us. He wants to reprove us. He wants to correct us so that our lives are for his glory when we encounter his word. And then next we hear that he tells uh, Timothy to, verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, I can read that from the pitcher's point of view. Throw a curveball, throw a fastball. Just what's the preacher supposed to do? But if I'm on the other side reading this as the catcher's point of view, then I have to say, if, if the preacher's commanded to preach the word, I need to be listening to the word. If he's going to be evaluated for how he preaches it, I need to soberly assess in the fear of God. I'll be evaluated by what I hear from God's word, truly from God's word. And then these other aspects, I'm to receive those. So, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove the NIV translates this correct. Now, this isn't everything that's supposed to happen in a sermon. Uh, Timothy was working with some, uh, combating some false teachers in the church. So that's one reason some of these aspects are here. Uh, God does a lot more through the preached word. But at least in context, at least he does these things, reprove. NIV says correct. The idea is to address someone who is in error and seek to convince them that they are in error. To adjust an understanding, to adjust a point of view, to correct a value that I hold, to, uh, to expose an idol in my heart, to teach me the truth about who God really is, to correct my caricature of who God really is, to focus me on the centrality of Jesus Christ and Him crucified to my mind that wanders to all other things that are central. See, it, it corrects, it reproves me. Do you ever show up Sunday saying, Lord, what are you going to say to me? I am, I am anticipating some correction. 
Matter of fact, that would be like, in some of our church shopping lists, that'd be way down at the bottom. Don't want a guy who's correcting anybody from God's word. I don't want a guy who's correcting people from his own opinion, for sure. But we don't want a guy correcting people from God's word. There's many ways. We're tolerant. We understand that we all have different approaches. Who is he to say his way? Right. Who is he to say his way? But if it's the scripture that's being taught, and it's the word of God that's being exposed, we, we need to be corrected by God. If, you are, if your viewpoint or your heart or your understanding of Scripture or your attitudes or your actions are never corrected by a sermon, that should be concerning to you, that either you're not listening well or the preaching you're hearing is not faithful to the text. So there should be some level of correction that comes, reprove. The other one is rebuke. That is to tell someone who's in error to stop. So Kent Hughes, this is really helpful for me, Kent Hughes distinguishes reprove and rebuke this way. He says reproof is showing someone they're wrong, and rebuke is telling them to stop that. So we're corrected, our mindsets are changed, we're aware of our sin, we're aware of false belief, things we believe about Jesus that aren't true, and then we're told to stop believing that, or stop doing that, or stop thinking that. The Scriptures corrects us, uh, and it tells us, it reproves us, tells us, don't go that way. You're heading down the pathway of danger. You're heading down the pathway away from God. You're pursuing the world, the flesh, the devil. You are distancing yourself. Don't go that way. Stop. That's wrong. This is the right path. That's the wrong path. Now you stop. Now, this is really important. Please hear what I'm saying. The Scripture doesn't leave us there ever. It's never just the law, the truth of Scripture, the revelation of God comes to correct our thinking and our actions and tell us to stop. It never leaves us there. If it leaves us there, it's like, stop doing that. Now, you people get out of here. The service is over. That's not a good sermon because it doesn't leave us there. It leads us to Jesus. But you don't ever get to Jesus if you don't see your need for Jesus. If it's all, you're wonderful, you're great, I'm wonderful, I'm great, let's have a group hug, everybody's wonderful, everybody's great. And we never say, then who needs Jesus? Because we're great. We need Jesus because according to God's word, we think, act, and do things that we need to be corrected in. And we need to be told, don't go that way, come back home to your father, come this way. We need to be told that. And so we need to be led to Jesus, and we need to be told clearly that Jesus died for those sins. You're going the wrong way, but Jesus died for that sin. Stop doing that because that sin was laid upon your Savior. And we're led to, the, to forgiveness in Christ as we repent, and then we're led to power. He, the Spirit of God is in us, and He wants to change us. And so it's not just reprove and rebuke, but it's also exhort. That's the next word. Timothy, exhort with the word of God. Okay, that's the pitch. Exhort with the word of God. The catch is I need to be exhorted by the word of God. Exhort means to encourage. So the scripture shows us our need, but then it shows us what Jesus has done for us, and it shows us Jesus' empowering of us by the Spirit. And so as we preach Christ, there is hope that he will change us as we repent and as we turn towards him. As we move towards him, he will change us. So there is an encouragement and exhortation to see the gospel and to respond. We're left with Christ, the God who forgives and the God who says, go and sin no more, who calls us to the right path and empowers us to walk in that right path. 
So am I coming saying, Lord, what do you have for me? I'm anticipating there'll be some correction somewhere, somewhere. And I'm anticipating there'll be gospel, which shows me the good news that you forgive if I will turn to you and receive forgiveness, and you will empower me to walk in your ways. So where's the, am I anticipating encouragement in the Lord? Am I listening for that? If I just say, wow, I feel so bad about convicting, don't stop there. As a hearer, you have to do the good work. If we're doing the work to teach it, you have to do the work to hear and believe it when we preach Jesus as the one who forgives and empowers. And then this is what he says next, which is clearly to Timothy, but I think it relates to us as hearers. Exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why does God say, preach the word, this is sober, I'm telling you this in front of the Father and the Son, and you will be judged for how you handle it. Exhort people, you know, reprove, rebuke, exhort people, and do it with all patience. Why? Because Timothy's not just a messenger delivering the truth, the message of God, but he's also delivering the heart of God through his methodology. God is patient with sinners. That's why Timothy has to relate as a patient person with sinners. So when we hear the Word of God, we should, we should feel the conviction of the Spirit, and we should also realize that God has been very patient with us. And His patience doesn't lead us, oh great, God's patient, we can do whatever we want. Like the four-year-old who never gets disciplined and says, I can do whatever I want, mom and dad aren't going to do anything about it, and we just run and do what we want. No. When we see the patience of God, we say, how could God love me so much? How could my father forbear with me and love me with such patience? That elicits in me a desire to want to honor him. If someone treats you graciously, even when you deserve severe eternal punishment, it's to elicit that grace, it's to elicit a desire to obey I don't want to presume upon God's patience. I don't want to try his patience. He's been so gracious to me. He's patient. I want to respond. That also means that Timothy needs to be patient with people he's preaching to. This guards, the preacher can't get up and take the two or three things he's really agitated about and say, come on. No, that's not patience. Paul tells in the Thessalonians as well, be patient with everyone. There is a patience that is to be extended. That also means since God has been patient with me, I want to respond. And it also means I need to be patient with you. It's not impatient reproving. It is with patience. I need to be patient with you. And some of us in the room, we need to be patient, if I can say this right, we need to be patient with ourselves. You hear the Word of God preached, and you instantly start thinking how much you failed, how bad you are, what a sorry Christian you are, and rather than get to the exhortation and encouragement and lift your eyes to Jesus, you just look right here. So you hear, I preach something about the Word, and you just walk out going, oh, I don't read the Bible, I'm a terrible Christian, I don't... And you've got to do, I've got to do the good work of preaching, but you've got to go to the good work of listening, which says, I can't stay here. I, God, I, I got to be, you know, I've got to realize, yes, I do, have, uh, I do have sins. I do have sins, but I can't respond with this sort of impatient despair. I need to look up to Jesus and say, Lord, help me. I want to change. And, and some of us need to have the patience of the Lord in the way we look at our own hearts. We need to be responsive. We don't presume upon his patience. But we must not be self-righteous and live with frustration because we're not where we want to be perfect right now. The 
Um, so we want to hear God's patience. So we listen soberly because there is assessment and judgment. Uh, we listen expectantly because God wants to minimally do these things and, and much more when we hear. So God, I'm expecting, I'm asking, you're going to speak to me as I come. Number three, we listen humbly. When we come, we know our place. We're, we're here to hear God's word. Look at, we're here to be assessed by God's word. Now, you should listen. When I say humbly, that doesn't mean you just listen to what the preacher says and you just take it all and think it's all true. I mean, hopefully, if you're part of this church, you'd believe the best about us, um, but we're going to make errors. And so you should look critically and say, okay, is, where did he get that? Is that in the text? Is he preaching the Bible or is that just him? So you should assess the Scripture. The, 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 in the book of Acts, the, church, the Jews at Berea are commended. Because it says in Acts 17, they received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They heard Paul, and then they went to the Bible and said, okay, is this true? So you should listen with a, an ear of assessment, is this true in the Bible? And if it's not, or if you don't see it, um, then come talk to us and say, I'm not sure, I don't, can you help me understand that? Or something like that. So come and, come and let's talk about it. We, we may need to be corrected. We may have said it wrong or we may have misunderstood the Scripture. So we may need help with that. Um, but if it's the Scripture, okay? So I'm not saying just whatever the preacher says goes. No. If Paul, if they're assessing Paul and being uh, commended for it, then whoever's standing right here can be assessed. Uh, and uh, I want you to do that. But humble listening means that if it is the Word of God that I'm hearing preached, that, 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 that assesses me. I, I'm not here to like, like judge the sermon. I'm here to be judged by the Word of God. I don't judge the Word of God. It judges me. And that's the problem with the listeners that he talks about. These listeners, verse 3, they, they won't endure sound teaching. They have itching ears. They accumulate teachers to suit their own passions. They go hear what they want to hear. So they don't submit themselves under the word, humbly saying, you're the authority, God, I'm listening to you. They go find who they want to hear that tells them what they want to hear, and then they, that's what they listen to. They, they're, they're not, and I guarantee you, they're not looking for reproof, rebuke, and exhort. They're probably looking for happy, clappy, feel-good fest that reinforces the ideas I already have about myself, which is the universe revolves around me. That's probably what they're looking for. But they're not looking to submit themselves to God. So he says, so I'm using the word humble. It's not in the text, but I mean submitted to the word of God. You don't find teachers that, that tickle your ears. Rather, you endure sound teaching. You put yourself under sound teaching. You don't turn away, verse 4, from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You stay with the word. Preach the word, respond to the word. Don't wander off into myths. Some kind of, you know, uh, crazy stuff that's being talked about that's secondary or not even in the Bible for that matter. Don't go that direction. Listen humbly. Lastly, and I'll, I'll be done here, listen responsively. What I want to do is take just a couple minutes here to wrap up and, and make some very practical application about how I think we can listen responsively. How we can listen responsively to the Word. First of all, we want to prepare ahead of time before we come here. We want to prepare ahead of time. Listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He was a British pastor in the 19, I'm sorry, in the 18, 19th century, yeah, 1800s. He said this, "We are told men ought to preach with, we are told men ought not to preach without preparation, granted. But we add, men ought not to hear without preparation." Now this is provocative. He says, "What do you think needs the most preparation? 
the sower or the ground? Sower means to plant seeds. Jesus said the word of God is like the seed being planted and the ground is our hearts, how we receive it. I would have the sower come with clean hands, but I would have the ground well plowed and harrowed, well turned over, and the clods broken before the seed comes in. It seems to me that there's more preparation needed by the ground than by the sower, more by the hearer than the preacher. Somewhat provocative. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not asking, I don't think we all need to spend the same time preparing for Sunday as the one who is preaching. But on the other hand, there's something to that. We need to have our hearts prepared. So we pray, pray ahead of time. Uh, pray for the preacher. Pray for yourself to hear God's word throughout the week. Lord, as I'm gathering to hear you on Sunday, hear from your word, prepare me. Pray for your children. Pray for your spouse if you're married. Uh, pray for your friends. Pray at 9 a.m. with the prayer team uh, down the hall in the conference room. Pray throughout the week. Lord, break up my heart. Lord, fill the, the teachers with knowledge from your word and power to deliver it. Spurgeon was once asked, he really saw revival through that church, but he was once asked what was the secret power of his preaching because he was a compelling preacher. And he said, quote, my people pray for me. Whenever he was preaching, in their basement where the boiler room was, there was a pack of people interceding the entire sermon. He said, what made the difference for us is that the people prayed. And when they're praying, they're preparing their hearts to receive. It's not just, we prayed and, man, our preacher knocked it out of the park. He killed it, dude. It's not what he's talking about. We prayed and he killed it. No. We prayed, and you know what happened? Our hearts, the soil of our hearts got softened. The clods broke up, and we were ready to receive. He was a gifted preacher. But a prayed-up people will have great life change from a very average preacher as long as he's faithful to the Scripture. So prepare your heart. Now, once we get to Genesis, we'll have it laid out so you'll know where the passage is. And you can read the passage ahead of time. That's a way to prepare your heart so you're not just coming in cold. We've Normally, when we teach books of the Bible, we have commentaries out there. So some people buy those and read and study. So they come in with their hearts. They're prepared spiritually. They've been praying. They're anticipating. Spend some time with the Lord on, on Sunday morning even. Get up and pray. Sometimes we think, well, I don't have to. You know, no, I don't have to. I don't, really, I don't need to have a devotional because I'm going to church. That might be the most important time of the week to prepare our hearts. Not because Tim did it for you in the singing with the band, and now I'm going to do it for you, and somebody else is doing it for your kids down the hall, but, but because we want to be ready. Prepare our hearts. I, I'm in your, your shoes. I don't preach every week. I attend and listen, so I, I know your experience. Uh, and truth be told, sometimes we just show up at church like we're going to a movie. I don't prepare to go to a movie. Sometimes very, oh, let's go to, well, you want to go to a movie? Well, what's showing? I don't know what's showing. What time is showing? Great, let's go. Boom. My kids are old. I don't have to get a sitter, so it's different. <laughs> boom. We're going to go to dinner. I don't know where you want to go. What's a, boom, we're there. I don't pray all week. Lord, where should we eat? You know, I, <laughs> I'm, reading, I'm reading, meditating on menus, memorizing menus, preparing for dinner. Where do you want to eat? We go. Some of us show up for church just like dinner or movie like an auditor. We need to prepare logistically, very practically. If God is speaking to us, we want to have our hearts, we want to be ready. See, what happens is we can get very distracted by things that seem very unspiritual. 
because we're not prepared. So if you've got younger kids, when our kids were younger and needed help with their, you know, what they were going to wear and all that, we found it very helpful to just lay out. If you've got kids, lay, pick out and lay out the kids' clothing the night before. This is very simple. I don't have a verse on this. I'm saying get ready to hear from God. If they're a little older and, frankly, you're going to have a fight about what they're going to wear, fight on Saturday night, discipline them, get it sorted out so that Sunday we dress in peace. It's having a big fight about, I don't want to wear this on Sunday morning. That's really simple. But it can totally change. Not that that would ever happen in a family in our church, but just I heard somewhere it happened. What are we going to do for breakfast tomorrow morning? Let's figure that out. So get ready. Saturday night starts. Get to bed at a reasonable hour. I'm not being legalistic here. I'm just saying if it's the peak of the week where God's speaking to me, I don't want to be sleepy. I want to be alert. It's, I want to hear. I want to be awake. So it starts on Saturday night. Come prepared. Come early. Try, plan on being here 10 minutes early. Sometimes if we scurry and we're just hurry, we just come in and our heart is just racing. We're, we're agitated. We're oh, trying to run around and go crazy. And then it's really 20 minutes in before I'm even able to engage. Number two, so prepare ahead of time. Number two, engage with God. Engage throughout the service. You know, as we are singing and today receiving communion, hearing prophetic words shared or scriptures shared, when we're doing all of that before the preaching, engage because God is working. Now, I do not, we do not believe the singing is the warm-up to get everybody kind of in the mood to hear the Bible taught. So I don't believe it's the warm-up. It's the deal. We're encountering God. We're praising God. It's why we gather. So the singing is huge. It's a big part of why we're here. I will say this, though. As I am encountering the Lord, as I'm singing the gospel, as I'm being reminded of the gospel through communion, you know what's happening? My heart is softening, and I am. The, the, the soil of my heart is getting prepared to receive the word. Absolutely. We, don't, we do it to engage the Lord, but as engage throughout so that your, your conscience is sensitized, you're prepared to receive. Practice active listening. Engage with God when you hear. Practice active listening. Now, I talked about this, uh, I don't know, three weeks ago or something. If you weren't here, maybe you can listen to that. It's a message about application from James 1. And so sometimes it can be helpful to take some notes. Don't try to get a transcript of the sermon. Uh, there is a quiz at the end of life, a final exam, but I don't think God's going to say, okay, you heard a sermon, was reprove in verse 2 or 3. Trick question. Uh, no, you don't need to know everything. I said, just jot down it, it, maybe the outline or at least the key points. Now, maybe if it helps you to write a lot because you remember, great. But just write down the key points. Write down one thing that God is calling you to do. We'll talk about that in a minute. So, listen attentively. Maybe you need to get on the edge of your seat. Maybe you need to nod. Maybe you need to ver it'd be verbally okay to say amen. I, I mean, I don't want to correct the church overly, but the loudest amen we've ever had happened in here in January when I mentioned Tony Romo in a sermon illustration of the Cowboys. Loudest amen we've ever had. <laughs> it was great at the time, but then I thought, whoa, we, we, we need some more amens like that for the Word of God. Not the Cowboys. Amen. There you go. There you go. Well, well timed. So respond. Avo seek to avoid distractions. Let me, t let me say this. The enemy wants to distract you. If you are easily distracted, oh, who's walking in? What are they doing? Oh, what are they, oh, what are they wearing? Who's if you're easily distracted, sit right up here. 
Get up here early. Get, there's no one on that front row. There's no one on that front row. Usually my family sits here. Thank you. There's some people right here. Uh, the, these are open seats. D don't get distracted. Get right up here. <laughs> get wet right up here in the front row. <laughs> Come on. I mean, don't, don't, if you're distracted. Some of us, very honestly, you're working off a tablet, you're working off a smartphone, just have some self-discipline. I'm serious. You need to put it in airplane mode. That means you can't get text, you can't get on Facebook, you can't get internet, you can't tweet. You're just, it, all it is is the Bible. Some of us need to do that, seriously. Because we're hearing, not because we got a legalistic standard. Oh, at my church, the pastor says you can't even have a phone. And if you do, it, he's looking at it, but no. I'm saying God is speaking, so how can I most prepare to receive what he wants to say to me? And it's not going to be finding out, Googling which restaurant we're going to after church. It's not legalism. It's preparing my heart to receive from the Lord. So the enemy will distract you, and I'm going to be careful here, but I, I want to say this pastorally. Seek not to be a distraction to others. Um, if your kid's number shows up here, please, I don't care where you're sitting, please go and get your kid. But some of us would be more careful about getting up and walking around in a movie than we would in church. I never get up in a movie, but... You don't know the details, but I needed to go recently. I was in a movie. It was towards the end. I had to, I had to leave. And, so, and then I came back. So I remember standing up, and I felt so embarrassed. Like, I'm, I'm big, tall. I'm blocking people. Excuse me, excuse me. I know this is climax of the movie. Sorry. I, excuse me, excuse me. I felt terrible. Some of us have no thought about just standing up, walking out, and when the Word of God. We would treat a movie, I would at times, more sensitively than we may someone else. Now, I understand. Numbers come up. Something happens. You've got to go. You, you didn't do airplane mode, and you've got an emergency text. You really do need to, to leave the room. Uh, your kid is squirming. You really do need, which I'll talk about next, you really do need to go out. Yes, yes. It's not a law. Nobody can move. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is at this point in the life of our church, we have a break. Go to the bathroom at the break. And if that's not sufficient, sit in the back on an on on aisle. We just don't think about that I'm distracting someone from hearing the Word of God. If my baby, I can say this because there's no baby saying anything right now, and I have no one in mind ever. But if your baby is crying, there's a room back there you can take them to, that you can take them in the hallway. We have sound out in the lobby. Well, Jesus didn't do that. Aren't we family? Can't we have kids? Yes, we can have kids here. Absolutely. We love the little children, but sometimes the little children can hinder someone from hearing the Word of God. I try to be a courageous pastor. I don't have near the guts of what I saw a pastor do back in the 80s. I was at a church. It was a mega church, very large, Pentecostal church. They believed in speaking in tongues. You need to know that for the illustration. Kid is going off. Pastor's preaching, distinguished guy. If I said his name, most of you would know him. Distinguished guy, he's preaching. Kid is going off. What? And they're just sitting, going off. Nobody's doing anything. On and on. And I was sitting a long way away, and I was distracted. And he just stopped and said, you know what? That little precious child is speaking in tongues. He has a tongue, and I have the interpretation. <laughs> Here is the interpretation of the child's tongue. Oh, I want to go to the warm, caring nursery right now. <laughs> Where loving adults will care for me. And he went on like that for a minute. 
I, don't, I do not have that much guts. I could never do that, you know. I just thought, man, dude, you are calling people. You're going to make some mamas mad doing that one. I remember it to this day. It stuck out to me. So kids are going to cry. When we're singing, kids cry great. It's like going to a noisy restaurant. This is a noisy church. The music's up. Kids can cry. No problem because they're not bothering anybody. So how can I not be distracted? How can I not distract? It's a spiritual battle when we're hearing the Word of God. Lastly, and I'm done, respond to God. Respond to God. So, I'm, uh, so prepare ahead of time, engage, and then specifically respond. I'm not going to teach the whole message on application again. But I am going to say this. When you are listening, before you leave, know what your takeaway point's going to be. What is God calling you to do? Before you leave, as you're listening, know something that you're going to apply. Now, we will apply later. We go to community group. We apply the scripture. Great. This week, I called the guy in the church spontaneously about something. Guy's a, travels, uh, he was traveling on business. I called him, middle of the day, he's in another city. He says, hello. I said, hey, this is Craig. Oh, he, I don't think he had my number. He didn't know it was me. Oh, wow. I'm just, this is amazing. I'm reading right now the notes of what you taught at the men's conference. I, and this is a good guy. I don't think it was brownie points. I think he was really doing it. But, uh, but he said, I thought, wow, this guy is really applying in a hotel room in the middle of the week what he heard last weekend. So we apply during the week. We can read our notes. We go to community group. Uh, we discuss over lunch. We discuss with our friends, whatever. But have a thought before you go out, an active, attentive listener. Here's one thing I'm going to do. I'm going to go read that other scripture that he mentioned. I'm going to talk to my spouse about that. I need to uh, confess something to him or to her and get right. Uh, I'm going to share that with my son or my daughter. That's going to impact my job tomorrow. When I have that meeting with my boss tomorrow, what I just learned about patience, that, I'm going to apply that this way in the meeting with my boss. When I go on the sales call on Tuesday, this is what I'm planning to do. That's a big pressure presentation. Here's how I'm going to fight anxiety and worry with that verse that I just heard about. Boom. I'm ready to apply that between now and Tuesday. So walk out of here actively listening, not the auditor. I didn't care. I just sat back, and what's interesting to me, and great, walk out, didn't remember a thing because I wasn't accountable. We're all accountable. So respond, respond to whatever God calls you to do, and know what your response may not be immediate. It may be in the week. Know what it is. So how, will, how do you listen to a sermon? You realize it's the Word of God if it's being faithfully taught. You listen soberly, expectantly, humbly, and responsively. And responsiveness involves our preparation. Here's a quote, we're done. James Packer said this, Congregations never honor God more than by reverently listening to His Word with full purpose of praising and obeying Him once they see what He has done and what they are called to do. Let's honor the Lord as, as hearers who celebrate the good news that comes into our ears. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.